0: to Nonprofit Lowdown. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Ria Wong. In this podcast, I recommend a book, tool, tip, podcast, or resource that has helped me to build a multi-million dollar nonprofit organization. I've done the research, so you don't have to. Let's get started. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Rhea Wong with you once again with Nonprofit Lowdown. Today, my guest is Julia Campbell, who is a social media expert. She is a blogger and an author. She wrote Storytelling in the Digital Age, A Guide for Nonprofits, and today we're going to talk all about social media. Welcome, Julia.
1: Thanks for having me, Rhea. I'm excited to be here.
0: So good to have you. So, Tell me briefly about yourself and your path to the nonprofit world.
1: Wow. Well, I started out I started out my career in the Peace Corps. So I served in the United States Peace Corps from 2000 2002. And in that role, I interacted with a lot of NGOs and nonprofits abroad. And I found that I really wanted to do work in social change. I've always had an affinity for activism and social justice work. So when I came home, my first job was as a development director. And I spent a few years being a development director, marketing director, outreach director, everything in the kitchen sink. And then when I went off on my own about 10 years ago, I can't believe it's been almost 10 years, I started out doing grant writing and freelancing. And it just evolved into what I do now, which is really helping nonprofits determine their message and really reach their audience and build their communities using digital tools.
0: Got it. So can you tell me a little bit about why you think nonprofits generally are pretty bad at leveraging social media?
1: Well, nonprofits have a huge problem to face, especially entering 2020. Relying solely on the old traditional ways of fundraising is really becoming obsolete. And as we've seen with the reports from the Chronicle of Philanthropy and the Fundraising Effectiveness Project, Small dollar donors, those people who give gifts under $250 are declining. Donor retention is atrocious. And we see that people are having much less time and much less money and much less disposable income than they did 20 or 30 years ago. But we're still acting like the old ways of fundraising and communication are relevant and are going to continue to work. So I think nonprofits just can't see the forest for the trees a lot of the times. We can't see that. Shifting demographics and what we know about younger donors and younger generations, they're telling us we have to adapt or we're going to get left behind. So we have to do a huge mindset shift, especially around social media and digital technology. So some of this, what you talked about, why are nonprofits not good at leveraging social media? Some of it is limited capacity. but. Even that goes back to the mindset shift that we have to make. We don't invest. We don't innovate. We starve our organizations. We subscribe to this cult of free. We're entitled. We think everything needs to be free and easy. We think social media can be done for free by the board chair's niece just because she's 16 years old. We think that social media is a free platform for promotion. But it's actually a place for people to express their identity and really build a community. So I see the nonprofit responsibility on social media is to make giving fun again and to democratize giving, to encourage participation in our causes and in our issues. So, Julia, Mm -hmm. I
0: think that sounds really great, but I'm just going to push back a little bit on this because I think even big corporate brands like Coke and Pepsi and so forth are still really struggling to leverage social media. And with budgets for Coca Cola obviously being much more than your average nonprofit is able to spend on it, like how are we actually able to use social media as a call to action? Because, like, we could spend a ton of time, like, answering the tweets and so forth and so on. But how do we know that that's leveraging into real dollars in the door?
1: Well, we have an advantage over big corporate brands because people can smell advertising and corporate branding and even that content sponsored content and all of that a mile away. So mm-hmm. the real revenue today, the real currency of the digital age is attention and trust. So Brands can pay for attention. They can pay all day long and pay for Super Bowl ads and get Facebook ads and splash up billboards, but they don't have the trust. So what we have in spades and what we need to be earning and focusing on is trust and affinity. So what I think the problem really is, is that nonprofits tend to focus on what they don't have rather than what they do have. So a small community food bank, you're never going to get 200,000 likes on Facebook. You serve a community of 5,000 people. It's just never going to – why would you get 200,000 likes on Facebook and why would you want that? So we need to focus on cultivating the small and loyal and passionate, dedicated community that we have and work to leverage that. So everything that we do online should be 100% focused on trust and affinity and building community with our organizations. It should not be focused on manipulating people or clickbait or any of the spammy ways of the past because it's just like you said, even the big brands are struggling, but that's because they've squandered our trust 10,000 times. Like mm-hmm. We know that they just want us to buy Coke. So we're hip to the game. But with nonprofits, we look to nonprofits to tell us Really, what to believe and what to understand around a specific cause that we care about. So, a great example is a local domestic violence organization where I live. It's called Hawk, Help for Abuse Women and Children. They post articles about domestic violence and sexual violence and what you can do in your community, 10 ways to spot an abusive relationship, how to talk to a friend or a family member that you suspect is unsafe, what to do, why women don't leave. They address these issues in a way that really helps me better understand the issue, but also really builds trust with me because I see them as this go-to resource around this issue that I care about.
0: Yeah, that's really important. And I also just want to pull out a distinction here because I think often I see a lot of nonprofits using social media as a platform just Mm -hmm. to talk about themselves. And I think in general, nonprofits don't talk enough about their donors or create donor centric communications. And so I'm just wondering if you can really draw out that distinction of like, how should we be using the social media platforms above and beyond, just like talking about how great we are and what our clients are doing, what our kids are doing, et cetera, et cetera.
1: I understand how difficult it is for nonprofits because we are not trained formally in marketing and communications. We're social workers, we're teachers, we're educators, we're whatever, you know, whatever it is that we're working on and we're not trained in this, but donors are looking to us for three things. Number one, they want to know that we are solving a problem that they care about. That's probably the most important thing that you can do with any communication with a donor. Express that this is a problem that is not going away and this is a serious problem that needs to be dealt with and help create that community around the problem. And not everyone is going to care about every problem, but the people that care about your problem and care about solving your problem are going to find you and they're going to come to you. So your communications should resonate and express to me, what's the problem? Number two, what is your solution to this problem and why is it good why is it effective why are you an effective organization and that doesn't mean what is your ratio of overhead to programs i don't consider that to be i don't consider that to be a viable measure of a nonprofit's effectiveness so to me your effectiveness means are you do you have a solution to the problem that i care about and are you solving it in a way that resonates with me because organizations solve problems in different ways and then number 3 are you having an impact are you pushing the needle on this problem are you actively creating change and showing me the impact and that goes into storytelling and telling me the story of Either the clients that you serve or the climate that you're changing or the legislation that you've enacted, what is the impact that you're having that is helping solve the problem that I care so much about? So I think nonprofits overcomplicate communications and overcomplicate social media because they think, oh, donors care that we won another award or we were in this newspaper or the board chair one, this great recognition, or we've been in the community 60 years. And really what donors care about is, are you solving a problem that I care about? Do you have the solution that I agree with that I can invest in? And are you having an impact and in what way?
0: Yeah, I really like that you've put it so simply because the way you say it, it's like, it seems so logical, but I think you're right when you're mm-hmm. on the inside. You're like, I don't know what to put on social media. Like, what am I supposed to say? Talk to me a little bit about some reasonable objectives or metrics that we can expect in social media. So I'll just speak for myself. When I was in ED, frankly, it was a bit of an afterthought. And we put the our youngest development staffer on it because it just seemed like it wasn't part of our overall strategy. So what should we be? How should we be measuring our success?
1: Well, you have to know what you want to achieve at the end of the day, and you have to tie it to your organizational goals, I think the number one goal for social media should be getting people off social media and getting people onto other channels. What do you mean? So you should be, I sh- you should be actively mm-hmm. growing your email list. So figuring out how you can entice people to join you mm-hmm. on email. Either that via your social media bios, your Instagram bio, your Twitter bio, your calls to action, things that you post on Facebook, any ads that you purchase, actively growing your email list because we control our email list much more than we control the attention of any of our fans on social media. Also getting people off social media to donate Mm -hmm. or getting people off social media to come to an event. So that should be your number one strategy is to, you shouldn't be posting every single day. Every single post shouldn't be get on our email list and come donate. But I follow the 80-20 rule on social media. So 80% of what you share should be targeted to your donors. That problem, solution, impact that I talked about, the building trust, building affinity, sharing stories, building community, and then 20% can be a call to action. Because if you are only sharing calls to action, people are going to tune it out. But if you're sharing information that they want to hear about, and you're making that emotional connection with them, and you're actually solving a problem for them, which is that they want to be better humans, they want to be participating in a cause and an issue that they care about, if you're solving that problem for them, then they're much more likely in the 20% of the time to pay attention to your call to action. And then the other thing I would say is that we need to figure out who we're talking to and what we want to get them to do. So in just the last two years, social media has proved itself as a huge driver of donations. You can get donations mm-hmm. via Facebook, via Instagram, via YouTube. They all have built-in fundraising tools. Twitter, you do still have to send people to an outside website. LinkedIn, you have to send people to an outside website, which is fine. But you can track that. You can track website traffic sent to your organization's website via these channels. And that will help you figure out which channel you should spend the most time on. I mean, a good example is when I started writing my blog, I was spending all this time on Twitter. And then I looked at my referral traffic. And I saw that the majority of my clicks were coming from Pinterest. So who would have known? So I started creating a Pinterest strategy. Mm. So when you start looking at where your website traffic is coming from, where your email signups are coming from, who's coming to your donate page, where are they coming from? What are they clicking on? We just need to be more intentional and thoughtful and strategic in what we are measuring. But we also have to understand that community building is never a waste of time, but it also cannot necessarily be measured. Building trust and affinity can't always be measured. But I think about how much money organizations spend on a newspaper ad. You can't measure that or a radio ad or a billboard. So we have to think about, yeah. we just have to balance it.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you this because it, you know, if you're new to social media – it can feel overwhelming, right? There are so many channels. There's there's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's Instagram, there's Pinterest, there's YouTube, there's, what's it, the TikTok, I mean- TikTok. (laughs) Yeah, the list goes on and on and on, right? So for the organization that is understaffed and underfunded, how do you decide which of these platforms to grow? And can you choose one or two to really focus on or do you really
1: have to do the whole gamut? No, I would say absolutely don't wanna do the whole gamut. Because you're going to water down your message, you're going to spread yourself too thin, and you're not going to be posting quality content on each of those channels. So right now, I've seen a resurgence of quality over quantity. So even five years ago, nonprofits were setting up shop on every social media site possible Spraying out messages, automating everything via Hootsuite or TweetDeck or Buffer or whatever name a platform and calling it a day. And they were never going in and checking on questions and comments and actually interacting with people. So social media needs to be Mm -hmm. a lot more proactive than that. You have to have a strategy for each platform that you're on and really understand the purpose of each platform. And I give people full permission to break up with platforms that are not working for them, especially in 2020. We don't want any more spam or crappy content on social media. We don't. We What we want is humans actually interacting with us. And we want to know that there are people behind the accounts. If you are a tiny organization and you can only manage Facebook and maybe Instagram, or maybe just Facebook and your email list, that's completely fine. Just make sure you do it intentionally and thoughtfully and that you're actively in the platform, answering questions, addressing concerns, sharing great content, and you're consistent on the platforms that you use. So we have to understand the rule that if you do more of one thing, you have to do less of something else. It's just not possible to continually do more and more and more and more of 50 different things. So you have to understand which platforms are going to work for you.
0: Speaking of which platforms are going to work, is there any information out there that breaks down the different demographics for the different platforms? Like I could imagine, obviously like a Snapchat where TikTok has a really different demographic than a LinkedIn? And where could I find that information?
1: You want to go to Pew Research Center? That's P-E-W. I think it's pewresearch.org. Mm-hmm. They are my go-to for any kind of online, digital, social media demographics. And they actually break down usage via generation. They break down usage via platform, which platforms are the most popular with which demographics. And that's a really important point because... It depends on your goals. It all goes back to your goals. When an organization says to me, should we be on TikTok? I say, well, first of all, are you targeting teens? Are you trying to get teens Mm -hmm. to do something? Because if you're do something.org or you are the Trevor Project, or you're any kind of organization targeting youth, or the anti-vaping campaign that's going on with the Ad Council, obviously they want to be on TikTok because that's where the teens are. But if your organization Mm -hmm. is a tiny local food bank in your community, you're trying to get volunteers, you're trying to get donors, TikTok is probably not the best avenue for that because it's not the way that the channel is used. So we have to look at the channels and see what are the strengths, what are the weaknesses, what are the pros and the cons, who is using it, how are they using it, and then what could we contribute on this channel that would actually add value and help us accomplish our goals.
0: Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing is quality over quantity and intention.
1: Yes, always. And also really not just, we can't just post anymore and go away. So I do audits. Mm -hmm. I do audits and assessments like all day long for my clients. And I tell them what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong. 99% of organizations, and I know this is a staff capacity issue, I would say 99% of organizations are not addressing comments and questions. So they'll post something and someone will say, oh, I went through your program 20 years ago. I had such a great experience. Thank you guys so much. And nothing. No one will actually say, Mm -hmm. oh, that's wonderful. Thank you for commenting. Or there's a question. Do you have locally sourced food in your food bank? I don't know. Whatever the question is, there will be a legitimate question and it will just go to crickets. And social media is supposed to be mm-hmm. a two-way street and a conversation and opening the can of worms means you have to address questions and comments. You ha- you have to address them. <laughs> so it looks it yeah. looks like your page is just automated and it's run by a robot. If you're only posting only posting but never interacting
0: yeah, yeah, definitely, and the, it's in the name; it it is inherently social, right? It is an engagement tool,
1: right? It's not a billboard. Right. We got we started thinking that it was a billboard for some reason, but it's not.
0: So I'm going to say something to you. I I just want your gut reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Ice bucket challenge. I love it. You love it.
1: <laughs> well, it started in my hometown. <laughs> <laughs> I have a weird affinity for it because it started in Beverly, Massachusetts, which is where I'm from. Peter Friedes. Boston College, the Frades family is really well-known where I live. What I love about the Ice Bucket Challenge is that it started as an awareness campaign. So Peter and his brother and another baseball player from Boston College started it purely as awareness. They wanted people to know what it was like to experience the diagnosis of getting ALS. And it's like getting Mm -hmm. a bucket of ice water thrown over your head. So that's what they wanted mm-hmm. people to know. And then it just morphed into this. Un- Can you imagine if the Facebook donate button was a thing when that happened? It, it would have raised three times as much as they did. So that was actually the impetus for the Facebook donate button. Because what happened is people had to go mm-hmm. to the outside website. They had to click and scroll and enter their credit card number. And I'm sure that ALS lost a lot of donations because people had to go to the outside website. but. That was actually the what spurred Facebook to create Facebook charitable giving tools. <laughs> so I love it. But on the other hand, I hate it because every nonprofit comes to me and they say, let's do a nice bucket challenge. And it's like lightning striking twice. I right. think it was just a perfect combination of nothing had been done like that before. The peer pressure aspect where you tag people and then if you get tagged and you don't do it, Kind of look like a jerk, right, so you've got to do it, and then you have to tag three people, and then of course, the celebrity aspect that amplified that amplified the entire movement. what I mm-hmm. do love about it is that it made giving fun and it democratized giving, it made it something that everybody does and everyone was doing, and I don't necessarily agree with the fact that we were all kind of peer pressured to give to one cause, even though it's a fantastic cause, and actually, with the money. They have been really aggressively funding prevention and research for ALS, which is amazing. But what I love is that it spurred this movement where we can now all start fundraisers for causes that we care about, no matter what it is, and those Mm -hmm. fundraisers can spread like wildfire based on the story, the friends, how often you share it. I just think it's, I love any way that we can democratize giving or make giving fun.
0: So Julia, let me ask you, and this is a belief that I've held, which I'm willing to be wrong about, but it always seemed to me that in order to make a substantial amount of money via social media platforms from small dollar donors, that you would have to have a pretty substantial brand. Like The Red Cross can do it. Like UNICEF can do it. Teach for America might be able to do it because they're nationally known, but if you're a small local nonprofit... Is a social media strategy tied to significant dollars raised in actual strategy that would work?
1: It's interesting that you asked that because I just gave a webinar on Giving Tuesday, and I was doing some research on Giving Tuesday on Facebook. And what they found is that the most successful Giving Tuesday campaigns were for pages that had 1,000 to 10,000 fans. They ended up raising the most really? money. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Yes, but well, the most money, money percentage-wise or the most money percentage of fans, oh, Okay, which I think is okay. really interesting. What happens with small nonprofits is that their fans get super energized. So we see all of these St. Jude's and Red Cross and Feeding America, and we see all of these campaigns going on, and we're almost desensitized to them. But if you give me a campaign, like my friend just showed me, my friend just started a birthday fundraiser for the Long Island Bulldog Rescue. And I thought, wow, that's really pretty cool. I will mm-hmm. look them up. I haven't heard of them. So I might just personally be a sucker for local small organizations, but I do think there's a movement to supporting smaller local organizations because people really want their dollars invested in the community. So I really think that, you know, you're not going to raise mm-hmm. the millions of dollars because you're not going to have 10 million Facebook fans. but. The money that you raise could be pretty significant and the relationships that you develop with the people that are raising money for you, those are what you want to focus on. So I don't think it's even number of donors necessarily via Facebook or via Instagram. I think it's how many people are actively raising money for you and donating their birthday and donating their holidays and donating their you know, potential to get gifts and asking people to give on their behalf. I think that's really where the power lies.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I'm I'm glad to be wrong about that. Okay, so in our last couple of minutes together, two quick questions. Question one, as you look out onto the field, who do you think is using social media in a really smart way?
1: Well, everyone always says dirty water, which is just kind of a go-to, but in my local community. I really like Amira. It's A M I R A H. They are a very small organization dedicated to eliminating sex trafficking in New England. And what I love that they uh-huh. do is they are very simple but very strategic. So they're always posting stories. They never share identifying details of their clients or the names. It's always via the executive director's perspective or the development director. They go live all the time. It's the It's the executive director and her phone talking either from her house Mm. or from the office, just saying, Hi, everyone. It's been a really busy week. One woman celebrated 60 days of sobriety, and another woman got her GED. And we just opened up a new office in Connecticut and just giving an update on what's going on, what the funds are going to, nothing Mm -hmm. flashy. I absolutely think they're doing such an incredible job. (laughs) Another small organization where I live. It's called Rosie's Place, and they serve women in crisis Mm -hmm. in Boston, and they have probably, I think it's 25 different programs, and they're always showcasing the staff in action. They're always talking about how laws in Massachusetts are affecting their clients. They're talking about the stories of transformation that their clients go through. They have one person, one development slash marketing person. And then the third organization that I want to call out is Plumber Youth Promise. They're in Salem Mass, tiny, tiny organization, maybe, maybe 10 staff, and they're a foster care organization. And their email marketing is amazing. They send a very short email once a week, and it's always a story about something that the donations did how my donation has has impacted someone's life and it's a letter from the executive director they never share client details either they always do it from the perspective of the staff or the executive director and the, just the storytelling that they do is really really compelling so small nonprofits they can do this and they right. do do this well and i assure you they can do it
0: okay so um I'll make sure to put those in the show notes. Last question for you. What are some actionable things that a small nonprofit can do right now to increase their social media efficacy?
1: Okay. Well, delete all of those blog posts that you've been meaning to read. Ignore all of the statistics that you're seeing. Don't ever read anything about statistics on social media. That doesn't apply to your organization. Think about your goals and your audience. And then pick two platforms that match your goal and your audience. If your goal is we want to get a ton of new donors and our audience tends to be millennials or Gen X, then you want to be on Facebook. That's just a, if our goal is we want teens to stop vaping, well, then you've got to be on TikTok and Snapchat and probably Instagram. So you have to look at your goal. You have to look at your audience and then match one or two platforms to your audience. And if you need help with that, go to pewresearch.org. We talked about that. Talk to your audience. What do they use? What do they like to use? Where are they? What kind of social media platforms are they active on? What other nonprofits do they really like? What kind of content do they like? So I think that's probably my very first actionable step is just stop the spinning crazy hamster wheel and really go over your goals, Mm -hmm. your audience, and pick two platforms that match
0: that's great well julia we are out of time i will make sure to post your information in the show notes for anyone who wants to get in touch with you and work with you you. and i really appreciate your time thank you so much
1: thanks so much ria this is great